Uh, welcome to D&D Brief. I am your DM, DM Samuel, and I am here once again with my excellent players. Let's start with Nina. Say hello, Nina. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Nina, and I am playing Emron Ranestra, who is a human Tempest cleric. And Matt. Hello, I'm Matt. I'm playing Konos Lenda, the CLF Warlock. And Karu. Hi, I'm Karu, and I am playing Marcel Petit Diableron, who is a gender-fluid Lutrinian sorcerer. And David. Hi, I'm playing Axley Tillingquest, Halfling Bard. Excellent. And uh, last session, <laughs> who wants to recap? <laughs> oh boy. We did a lot of reading. We are still stuck in the library. 15 years have passed outside. Um... <laughs> We, we turned a skeleton into a professor. <laughs> yes, you did turn a skeleton into a professor. That's true. <laughs> true. I'm looking forward to seeing that professor today. <laughs> um, we did come up with a bunch of... We, we, we found a bunch of maps of old-timey, ye old world map. Um, discovered that, you know, whatever happened with the sinking, it wasn't just a sinking or a flooding. It was something a lot weirder because mountain ranges have disappeared. Places that were, like, coastal are still up. Um, well, not coastal, coastal, but I don't know if Lake Cal Calrot was probably higher than coast, uh, but still. Uh, weird shit's gone on in this world. We also finished... Um, figuring out what the Book of Proof said we had to do to save the world. And we were given a lot of information about that. And I'll admit it all kind of went over my head. Um, but apparently we have something, the start of a plan. Um, <laughs> something. Um, we also read a lot of books. Something about the Rift and the Final Dirge. Um, the beginning of the end and we I know we ended with there was one more book we were interested in seeing before leaving the library and it was like on the other side of the library um, but it seemed like an important book especially given the fact that it couldn't be moved um, and that it was what beside one of the gates that was apparently one of the things we need to reverse the sinking. So we figured, you know, we should probably go check that out um, before we leave. And nothing bad will happen because we're in a library. And obviously libraries are perfectly safe and there are no monsters or dangers in a library. Maybe ghosts. I could see ghosts in a library this big. Just people who came in there. The problem is, if you're in a library, the ghosts are probably busy just reading. Because that's probably how they die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all they're going to do is just shush you. Yeah, yeah. Just as long as you're quiet, you're fine. Just don't, don't interrupt the ghost that's reading their books. It's fine. We'll be fine. It's not going to be like the beginning of Ghostbusters at all. <laughs> yeah. Or the end. And the other, the other, the other way we can reverse the thinking is just go back into the past and prevent Cornelius from killing Batet. But I think we decided that changing the timeline was probably not a good thing, even if we could find a way to go back. Looking forward to the bargaining using a gate from a hellish creature. 
Yeah, because we, because we, like, part of the way we we figured we could get to the Blue Plateau was essentially going through the Infernal Gate, or at least convincing them to let the powers that be within, you know, that Infernal Gate let the let all the water kind of run through their domain back into the Blue Plateau, which we have to go and fix the well of uh, Capitalis, I think it was. We have to fix that first, then, yeah, somehow siphon all the water in this plane through one or two other plateaus before it finally gets back to where it's supposed to be. Sounds easy. Yeah. <laughs> Real easy. No big deal. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, the, the, it's basically done now that you know yeah. what you have to do. It's, it's done. Yeah. Let's see like the thing, guys. We've, we solved the riddle. Let's, uh, let's go home. <laughs> yeah. Or I like the way Carpenter. Yeah, we can do all that or time travel. Yeah, and wibbly wobbly timey wimey. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Then there's all the, the, the like the nagging question of did we save just one timeline with that or all time? I mean, to oh be fair, head. we're always ever gonna solve one timeline. There's no changing that. If we don't time travel, we're just saving our timeline anyways. <laughs> and remember though that time is not a linear time yeah, that's feels that's linear true. to you, but in the grand scheme of the universe is not linear uh, to other beings. So anybody else have anything to add? Uh, I think Emeryn's mother, we kind of closed out with Emeryn's mother deciding she was going to make a visit to the library looking up some of of her own things. And she was heading to the ossuary, I believe. Oh, that's right. With Blacksley, I believe, right? He's there too. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, let me uh, remind you of some facts just to have them fresh in your mind, because theoretically they just happened like two seconds ago. To your character. <laughs> uh, so Axley um, thinks that, and Marcel agrees, and well, okay, basically everybody agreed that Larillac must be a pseudonym, and... Uh, there must be a motive for the sinking. And that probably Shemasa Hasit is using Larilac to gain souls to get power by promising Larilac some kind of eternal reward of some sort. That was That's kind of the thought on Larilac and Shemasa Hasit and how they're related. And Larilac must be a pseudonym. Um, and you also learned that Tefatus and Allegra Hammond produced the Book of Proofs together. Axley thinks that this that Larillac is a pseudonym either for Allegra Hammond or Batet or Tefatus, one of those three. That those three are, seem to be names that keep coming up, and they seem to be very powerful. And so, why wouldn't it be one of them? In the auditorium, you met Gaston, who had met Larillac. Larillac, somehow, Larillac, Batet, sorry. Don't take that as any kind of proof. I was reading on the page. Uh, (laughs) The skeleton met Batet because Batet was doing the lecture that awakened. That's why I was thinking of Larillac, because you guys think Larillac is awakening all of these undead sea creatures, but Batet supposedly awakened all of these skeletons in the auditorium in the map room you figured out that the map of the continents doesn't match with the idea of a flood being the sinking as 
Karu mentioned that obviously something happened and why did Calport survive and why did Trastenfin survive when some of the mountains are gone? Uh, you wrote in the Book of Proofs, there is a way to remove the affliction plaguing Lucanius, leaving him alive and healthy at the end. That's the current uh, message that the book is working on. Um, you went to get the Batet works in the fictional history section. And that's you where found... we discovered the uh, rift in the final dirge. Yeah, so he... Uh, Pavros told you that Batet wrote four books 51 years ago, so a year before the sinking. He wrote The Collected Wisdom of the Conquered Peoples. He wrote the book that talked about the demon history and the Shemasa Hasit individual. He wrote an untitled book that is the one that is in the room with the infernal gate that's in the reaches part of the library that is six hours away. And he wrote The Rift and the Final Dirge, which was in Stax J, which is where you are right now. Actually, I guess technically you went back to the map room at the end of the session. You found out that the transportation rings that are in the library that Tavros considers the beginning location and the destination ring to both be part of the library. So in his estimation, the library does reach into different areas, even though the actual physicality of the space of the library does not range farther out than the city limits of Calport. You learned that Batet wrote books and he acts as a mixture of Homer, Ovid, Virgil, and Herodotus. And that means that that so Marcel's response was, well that's why he's in fictional history. Because everything that he wrote is based on whoever his patron was that paid him to write it. You learned that Calport was a major power and that um, Batet has written several historical documents regarding the noble families in Calport. The thing that you didn't mention yet is you also found a book written by Batet that is somewhat like Plato's dialogues, where Ian Tarsus and Delencia are debating how you name the king of a new kingdom. Like, who do you name as the king of the new kingdom? And the Rift and the Final Dirge is like a book of revelations that describes the six disastrous precursors to the end of the world. And then that's when uh, Imran sent a message to Blacksley and found out that he was with Rayla in the ossuary because she said... Uh, she said there was something she had to get to help you. Um, and first, he didn't tell you he was in the ossuary. He told you that later. Um, but uh, and then that's and then we ended right after Axley basically told you all what his transcription determined, and that was that um, you can't stop the flood until you make it so that wherever the water would go to can still hold the water that you would be putting back into it. And right now there is a flaw in the plateau. Uh, and so you have to fix that gap first, and then you can revert and put the water back in that into that area, right? 
the um the well of capitalis is where the flaw is it's where that gap is that has to be filled in other words it's where the water's leaking out of the blue plateau uh so um the to fix the flaw then that means you've closed that passageway so you have to find a way back to your plateau and then open a passageway that will allow you to take the stuff that had been drained out of the blue plateau and put it back into where it's supposed to go but to do that you need to use an infernal gate and to use that infernal gate you either have to uh, bargain for the rights to it or steal the rights to move the material through that gate. Because the Blue Plateau, the Threefold Lake, and the Common Plateau, all three are involved, you can't just reverse the process. You have to do it in that order. You have to fix the hole first, fix the, the flaw first. Um, other than if you want to do the thing that it that the book presumed mortals cannot directly do, and that was to yeah, go back and stop uh, Cornelius from killing Batet. So yeah, most of it. It was a long session with a lot of information. Yeah. And we don't even know where the, this well of Capitalis is. So if we can get to the Blue Plateau, and I think one of the, the sides on that cubic, cubic travel device we have goes there, um, you know, we could use our locator rod say, okay, point us towards the well of Capitalis and follow that. Well, then how do we close the gate? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's... Just stick your One finger in it. I mean, if it is what I think it is, then sticking a piece, of, a certain piece of coral in it might do it. Mm-hmm. If it is what I think it is. Yeah, I think we've been we've been operating in, with the idea that your coral has to do with that, and that we already have the thing to stop to plug it. We could be very wrong. It would be really awkward to get there and and find that out, but. Uh, like showing up to a party and you're wearing a costume and nobody else is. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else has got tuxedos on. Like, oops, wrong, uh, wrong party. <laughs> so you you may not know exactly where everything is, but you know that the soul spire spans. So the top of the soul spire is in the white plateau, and the bottom of the soul spire is in the red plateau. And the dark plateau is roughly in the middle of the soul spire. Like the middle of the soul spire goes through the dark plateau. Okay. And you know that the Palace of the Faded is in that area where the dark plateau is. You've never been to the White Plateau, you've never been to the Red Plateau, and you've also never really seen anything about them. But you do know that the Threefold Lake, the Soul Spire pours into the Threefold Lake. And Konos, whoever Konos contacted uh, when he cast his spell, lived in the bottom of the Threefold Lake. Oh, and I did uh, contact other plane. Yeah. So all of that's connected. Now, you don't know where the Well of Capitalis is in there because you have not made that connection in terms of the knowledge. But you do know of another well. The Well of Hasit. The Well of Hasit. Didn't we weren't 
wasn't wells also another name for like the no uh for the portals between planes that was ladders and gates ladders gates and rifts so a ladder okay a ladder lets you go down and a gate lets you go up basically uh in a manner of speaking a, a ladder lets you go in one direction. Most most often they are uh, associated with going into the Dark Plateau, which is considered, quote, down. Um, a gate lets you go from one plateau to another. It's kind of lateral, not up. Um, but you can't use a gate to get to the Dark Plateau. You have to use a ladder. Uh, and then there's um, the third idea is a rift, or the third kind of connection is a rift. And that's actually where there's a tear in the in the border between two different plateaus and so that tear in the in the border opens up a gap between those two plateaus so that it ends up being a passageway if you use it as one but it's extremely unpredictable and very dangerous and yeah. and remember that the book that you the the translation that Axley was doing one of the reasons why it was difficult to try to make it understandable was that translation um, said that the Blue Plateau has a rift in it and that that's what needs to be fixed, right? Except that it's using rift as a not a rift like what I... Like, you normally think of rifts as a, a, a place where the connection between two plateaus or the border between two plateaus is ripped. And so that actually causes all kinds of problems there and it's very unstable because the different elements from the one plateau leads to another plateau or can drip into another plateau. But the, the transcription that Axley did of what the book of proofs said is using a rift more in terms of a flaw, not a passageway. Whereas a gate and a ladder and a rift could all be considered passageways. The way that the book was using the word rift was as a flaw, as a hole, as a gap, not as a passageway. So it create, created some confusion. So the question is, what would you like to do next? I think we're trying to find your mom, right? First and foremost, try to... Probably at some point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we were talking about how it's probably not a good place to just you know, get split up in or get lost no. in there. Definitely not. I guess the main question we have now is, do we go check on... Do we go to the ossuary first, or do we go check out the book and the riff and the gate? Um, that's six hours away. Also, do we just do this, or do we want to leave the library and check out how long it's been outside? And because six hours is a lot, I don't know how long we've been in here already, but it's probably been at least a couple of hours. We've done a lot of reading, so um, yeah. I guess I say, yeah, I don't really trust Blacksley in here by himself. <laughs> so let's find them at least and then take a minute to process what we've already learned and then maybe we can come back and look at the other book but I, I feel like we should at least check and make sure it hasn't been <laughs> like a day full day and if they just got in here themselves you know they could tell us you know right, more about yeah. what's going on outside so to the ossuary, sure. Sounds like it. You know where the ossuary is? No, but I believe we had um, what's his name with us? 
because he was going to lead us. We had, yeah, Tavros was with us because he was going to lead us to the uh, book that couldn't be moved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and if he wasn't there immediately, then we'll just call him um, <laughs> and ask him about how to get to the ossuary. Or, you know, I feel like given he's a ghost and seems to have nothing better to do, we might just ask him to guide us instead of taking directions. Because last time the directions weren't exactly up to date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he you hadn't been aware so? that parts of the place had like submerged, yeah, collapsed, right? There were some things missing that he said we were supposed to pass. So, mm-hmm. Are you going to mention to him that his directions were out of date? Nah. I will make. I will suggest to you that you perhaps passed things that you did not know you were passing because you did not enter any rooms that you weren't absolutely sure were in the direction you needed to go. That's very true. It's just you know when they say you're going to pass and beehive, you expect to hear like bees <sighs> or something. When we didn't, so our expectations were foiled, and therefore beehive clearly doesn't exist. <laughs> And there's no printing presses or whatever. What I hear is that you would like to encounter the beehive. No. On your way to the <laughs> That's what I'm hearing from you. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tavros says he has no no problem leading you to the ossuary. It's it's relatively close to where you are Excellent. right now. Excellent. I like you, Tavros. You're a good guy. Uh, he says, uh, do you want the shortest route or... Do you want the route through the main halls? Let's take the shortest route. Yeah, yeah that, that was like just <laughs> shortest route. Yeah. We were all afraid I'm to curious. say it, but like, yeah, let's go short. Okay, so he leads you. Oh, what are you doing with the book? Which book? The book proofs. of proofs. It's writing. It's, is it still working? It's still working. It's still working. We can close it while it works, though, right? No, can we? No, no. Um, I can use Mage Hand to just, you know, basically carry it open, like as we're walking, have it following us. Okay. Floating book behind us, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sir, there's a book following you. I know. Does Tavro seem interested or like recognize that? the book of proofs at all i mean remember you can't see his face because he has a big cowl it has a cloak on that has a cowl that just sort of hangs down and obscures his face at all times so kind of hard he has not mentioned it to you and he has not made any motions or indication that he even sees it okay so he leads you um down the hall and he actually leads you through the door that goes into the stacks J, which is where you actually had the six bookcases of Batet's works. And he leads you through this sort of maze like series of bookcases and shelves and all that through an archway into another area where there's a bunch of stacks of books. And then through a door with a very short hallway, which then leads you through a room where uh, someone roll me a d12. Okay. Nine. Okay. 
the room that you go into, and Tavros, by the way, is moving really fast, and he does not seem to be acknowledging or looking at anything, but uh, he leads you out of the room with the stacks, through a short archway, through a short hallway, and then into a very larger, much larger room. And when you enter the room, you can either sort of go to the left, or you can go up this flight of about six or seven stairs. And as you, he leads you up the stairs and you get up to the stairs and you realize that you are um, in a large room that has a, it has chairs on each side. It's, re- it's rectangular and there are chairs on each side in a sort of amphitheater style. So, you know, there's a row of chairs and there's chairs above it and then there's chairs above it and then there's chairs above it. And, um, and there, that's the same on the east and the western walls. But in the middle, down at the bottom, there's a little stage. And on the stage is a surgical table. And on the surgical table is a very large spider that is being dissected by a humanoid-shaped creature. You can't really see that they're, they're kind of in all scrubs. And uh, the the person doing the dissection is talking through everything that's happening, talking about the carapace and the thickness of the carapace and how to determine whether uh, the there's blood vessels investing the carapace or only investing the the parts of the flesh under the carapace and uh, all of this sort of thing, right? And you notice that sitting in some of the chairs in this amphitheater, in the surgical amphitheater. You know, think of this like if you've ever seen like a medical school show where at some point they go in and they're surgeons and they're they're actually performing surgery in the amphitheater and there's people watching, right? Medical students are watching. That's kind of what's happening here, except it's a giant spider that's being dissected. And it's not alive, so they're not doing surgery. It's It's actually dead, but the person, whoever's doing the dissection is talking through what they're doing. And there's about 40 skeletons sitting in the chairs watching the dissection silently. And Tavros leads you up the stairs so that you're sort of at the top and you're looking down at the heads of these 40 skeletons that are watching. And he leads you through that. You go downstairs on the other side when you get all the way down the rectangular portion of the room and then out an archway. I have a question. Are the skeletons yes. just sitting there, or is there movement within the crowd? They're just sitting there. So they just died watching kind of situation here? Probably, maybe. Are you going to stop and try to find out, or are you going to keep following Tavros? Just, just, just like glancing over, <laughs> seeing if there's any movement. You can um, roll a medicine check. Medicine check. <laughs> I guess it's true what they say. You never do stop learning. <laughs> no. Well, that was better than a one. However, that was a six. <laughs> uh, you can't tell really how long they've been there or if they just kind of died in their seats. I mean, they didn't, they're not desiccated mummies. So mm-hmm. uh, they're like dry, dry bone skeletons. 
okay. that's kind of all you can tell unless you stop and do more investigation. Uh, this guy's moving pretty fast and I already have a walking speed of 25. So I'll just keep yeah, Immerin's like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Blinders on. Doing tunnel vision. <laughs> um, so uh, he leads you out of there and uh, you take a sharp, take a sharp right. And he leads you down some stairs, some steep stairs about 20, 30 feet down and through a couple of passageways and then quickly up another set of stairs. And you see the passageways move on and there's more branching. Um, and then there's a door in front of you and that's uh, a very small hallway. And then in front of that is a door. And he says, that is uh, the entrance to the ossuary. Would you like me to accompany you inside? I don't think that's necessary. Thank you, Tavros. We'll, uh, we'll let you know when... We need Before you even finish, he poofs and, and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> he's got places to be. Everyone roll me a perception check, please. Let's try a different dice. Hey, that's better. Uh, 20. Non-natural. 11. 12. 9. Marcel, you hear from beyond the door uh, you hear a sound that uh, sounds something hollow tapping on something else hollow. Okay. And it's not in a pattern. It's more like groups or bursts of tapping and then the silence for a moment and then tapping in a different kind of pattern. So, like, someone looking for a, like, a false wall would, like, tap, tap, tap in one place and then tap, tap, tap in another? Roll me an intelligence check. Oh, I'm great at those. Uh, it's 12 plus 1, 13. Yeah, you can't really tell what it is. It's, it sounds, it does, it's not methodical. Like, what, like, what you're okay. describing would be somebody methodically, like, tap, tap. Tap, tap, yeah, so. Tap, tap. It's it's not so like it's not that just at all. That there's like, like there's no rhythm at all in any point in the sequence. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Well, either someone's dancing in there and doesn't know how to dance, or something's tapping. Um, so um, yeah, tapping. Probably nothing. Maybe. Does it sound like a bunch of skeletons were just walking around or anything like that? There would be more rhythm to walking around than this. Okay. But something hollow tapping against something hollow? Maybe maybe it's Blacksley tapping his head against a box. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's two hollow things, right? Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> that's a, that's a theory. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we? Sure. After you, Emeryn. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. I have to keep up my streak of not taking any damage. <laughs> <laughs> you walk into the room. You open the door. And what you see is immediately, Emeryn, you see your mother in the corner. The, the room is roughly rectangular, although there's a bit of hallway that sort of juts into it forms a door. So 
it's kind of almost L-shaped like a fat L. Um, but you see your mother in the corner standing in front of a glass-fronted display case that she has opened. And she is looking through a pile of stuff on the shelves and every once in a while just pushing some things around. And you see Blacksley sort of behind her and every once in a while she picks something up and sort of tosses it and he tries to catch it but often doesn't succeed in catching it. And you see that what she's sort of picking up and throwing after her are these little bones. And when you look at the rest of the room, what you see is the walls lined with these almost bookcases that have glass fronts. And inside each of these are sets of bones, some of them packed like Tetris style into these sort of displays. And it looks like they're all neatly labeled, although you can tell that a couple of these bookcases have been um, damaged, messed with. Yeah, sort of uh, scrambled up, right? So not like there was an earthquake and some of them fell and more like someone opened it and messed with the contents. Correct. In the middle of the room, there is a table. And the table has a wooden case on it and the wooden case is about six, seven inches high, maybe eight inches high. And it, it basically fills the entire table and there's a glass kind of covering over half of it. So you could slide it down so that you could see and have access to one half and you could slide it the other way to have access to the other half. And you're not standing close enough to see what's in there, but you can guess probably from in the other cabinets that there's probably bones in there as well. Well, it's not called an ossuary for nothing. Correct. Hi, Blacksley. You're not very good at catching things. I can't help it. I, I put my hand out and they move at the last second. What? Yeah, it's like, it's like I put my hand out and they move because they want to go to the floor, not in my hands. It's crazy. What are you all looking for in here? I, I'm not. I'm just trying to make sure she doesn't make a giant mess. Too late. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess. What are we looking for? I'm looking for the key. Your mom says. What what key? The key. It's here somewhere. I know it is. Key to what? The key to the spire room. We have to put the book back. Hmm. Why do we need to put the book back? I figured it out. That's when this whole thing started. When I got the book, that's when everything went bad. I think that happened. Everything started like 50 years ago, maybe 51 years ago, to be precise. No, no, I just need the key. I just need the key. It's, it's, it's in here. I know it is. Pretty sure things went to a long time before that happened. What makes you think the key to the spy room is in here amongst all these bones? Where I found it when I was here the first time. Ah, yes. And of course, the key would be placed back in the place where there's a bunch of bones, because that's where you keep all your keys, right? Sort of pauses. <laughs> she looks and she says, you're right. I didn't put it back. I didn't put it back in the ossuary. Uh, where did I put it? 
Where where did I put it? I can't. I, I have to. I have to try to remember. I can't remember. I I gotta. And she kind of sits down and she she puts her forehead in her hand and she says, "Okay, I just need to think. Everybody, everybody, be quiet. Be quiet. Quit talking. I said, shut up. Quit talking." Why can't you talking. all just follow my direction? Stop talking for a second. I just need I just need to 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 think for one second. Maybe get out of the room full of bones. I'm gonna put socks on her lap. <sighs> yeah, she uh she immediately kind of thank you all for being quiet for two seconds. I just need to think for a minute. I know if I find the key, then we could put the book back, then we could leave, and it would all be perfect again. She's kind of absentmindedly petting socks. Do any of the rest of us hear any voices in here? No. Cool. So are any of the bones moving? <laughs> uh, you can roll me a perception check. All right, I mean, is everybody going to enter the room? Because right now you're all just kind of standing at the doorway. Oh, yes, yes no. I did to like put socks in. Oh, that's true. You did come in. Um. You noticed, Imran, when you walked in and you walked by that table in the middle, the bones in that table did seem to kind of uh, why are, rustle a little Why bit. are all the bones interested in Imran? I don't uh, I rolled, I rolled a, a perception check, so... Um, You're too focused on... 12. 19, which makes it... Uh, Higher than that. <laughs> okay. Natural point. Um, <laughs> okay. So actually in Imarin, you both notice that um, the bones that Blacksley picks up and tries to put back in the cabinet, when he sets them on the shelf in the cabinet, they kind of move to a place so that they're fit in Tetris-like again into a display. And as they move, you hear this sort of hollow tapping as they move by and they put themselves, they fit themselves back in. And, every, and when they do that, you notice that the middle tables, this is only Imran and Axley, notice that the middle table, the bones in the middle table sort of rearrange themselves and become sort of set up slightly differently. And you hear that sort of tapping, unpatterned tapping. It's very puzzly. But yeah, oh, no, it's clear. I will think to Blacksley, hey, stop putting the bones back for a minute. But uh, you don't want me to clean it up? Just just wait a minute is all. Fine. He kind of walks, walks by, goes, tries to go to the door next to Marcel. And you notice, Imran and Axley notice again that as Blacksley walks by, those bones sort of shift, the ones in the middle table shift a lot to form a sort of a different lumpy pile of bones. So the bones don't like you, huh, Blacksley? What do you mean? I put them back. They love me. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah, but you couldn't catch them in the air because they were, like, moving away from you. So? They're magical, I'm sure. I mean, look. Can't you see them all? They're all in oh, yeah, weird 
dioramas. They're strange. Yeah, they are. Uh, I've seen a lot of bones today. Um, some of them even talk. Uh, they need jaws for that, though. Can I run a quick detect magic just out of curiosity? Sure. You are blinded by magic. I'm sure I will be, but I'm <laughs> curious to see if this key gives off a different anything. Off anything at all. If it's even here. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Other than um, you know, the various magical items that each of you have on you. In this room, that pile of bones on the middle table, there is a very distinct transmutation signature coming from not the bones themselves, but something obviously that the bones are covering in that middle table. Go on, Em. Put your hand inside the bone pile. <laughs> Emran hates this library. Um, thought we traveled so far to get here yeah sure I'm just gonna look at it first does it like move if I get close to it if you walk close Mm -hmm. to it or like put your hand close Uh, to it I'll put my hand close to it I need everybody to roll initiative. Oh my god! Uh, oh, okay. No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, Guys, uh, uh, the bones. Bad decisions were made. Uh, well, that was my highest roll yet. Oh, that was a pretty bad one for me. Even even the D and D Beyond dice hate me seven. <laughs> oh, I rolled a, I rolled a natural one. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled a 20, non-natural. Uh, 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 oh my god. Eight. Total. Alright, I'm, I'm rolling. Here I go. I rolled an 11. Oh boy. What are we fighting? Uh, so, uh, Emmerin rolled an 8? Yes. What did, uh, Marcel roll? 20. And Axley? Uh, I rolled a one, so it's five with my initiative bonus. And Konos? Seven. All right, so as Imarin puts her hand close to this pile of bones, the bones, the pile of bones, forms together. A bunch of the little bone pieces in it form together and reach out and grab her hand. This is the surprise round. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and I roll a natural 20. God, they do not like you. Oh, they're mad. Um, they are angry. I am regretting my life choices. You take 19 damage. Oh, Oh, and the uh, the Bones, as they grab onto you, the, the damage is dealt by these little sharp pieces of bone, like little bone shards, clawing into you as they're crawling up your arm and covering your shoulder and trying to cover your face nope. and go down your, your trunk of your body. 
So this creature, in, in mechanical terms, this creature acts like a swarm. Great. Okay. And it's basically all of you, you saw Imran put her hand out and then very quickly some things crawled onto her hand and started flowing up her arm to her shoulder and down her torso and try to go up her head. They're not covering her head yet. Um, and uh, then it's Marcel's turn. Help! And they're hmm. still sort of flowing up. Okay. Okay. Oh, I burned so bad. Uh, I could do that. I could. That might work. Mm, bad idea to do that inside, though. No. Um, <laughs> that's just a gust of wind inside a tiny room full of bones. <laughs> That'll go great. All right. Uh, let's see what happens. I'm going to frostbite it. The okay. swarm. That's a con save for the swarm, uh, DC 16. Area of effect spell? No, it is not. Okay, so it has a 50% chance of also affecting Imarin. It's okay, she'll just be a bit cold. <laughs> okay, what's the, uh, what's the con save? 16. No, I failed. I rolled a 7. Okay. So what does so, it do? Uh, it does cold damage. Okay. Um, so that's 6 cold damage to the swarm. Um, and it now has disadvantage on its next attack roll. Okay. And that's, that's it. That's my turn. Okay. Uh, so it's the swarm's turn, but let me set the scene for you. Uh, you're in a room that is roughly kind of L-shaped, but it's a fat little L, so it's got a short top on it. Um, and it is roughly 50 by 50 by 40 with part of then part of a more coming out where that 40 foot thing is because it's L shaped. Um, the tables are in the middle of the room and they take up about 10 feet. Imran is standing next to them with bones flowing up her body. And uh, the rest of you are on a door or near a door in the west facing wall. Okay. And on on every uh, hall, on every wall in this room, other than where there are doors, are cabinets with bones in them. This thing takes disadvantage on its next attack. But what I need really from Imran is um, a DC sixteen dex save. And does a sixteen hit your AC? Uh, yes, it hits. I need a DC 16 dex save from you. And I rolled a 16. Okay. Um, that's good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, because that means that it's not able to damage you this round. So oh, cool. It is now your turn. You are grappled, technically speaking. Uh -huh. So if you want to try to push these things off in mass you can spend a turn it'll take another dc 16 uh escape so you can either use athletics or acrobatics your choice for that that's not a save it's a check athletics please 
Yeah, I definitely want to try and get away. Nope. That's a three. You could not, you were unable to get it. Now, the good, the good news there is it doesn't envelop any more of you. It's yeah. kind of stuck where it was, but it's, but it's still on you, which yeah. means that any, anything has a 50% chance. Anything they do that's not an area of effect has a 50% chance of hitting you as well. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do anything else? You can move, but it'll move with you because it's on you. It's technically occupying your space. Um, no, I think I'm okay where I'm at. Okay. I'm just like sh- frantically shaking my arms trying to get these things off of me. Konos? Okay, um, do I see any way of closing this cabinet or whatever that the all this bone swarm is coming out of? So this cabinet that was in the middle has only a half door, so when you, you can slide the door closed, but so that opens the one side, and if you slide it closed, it opens the other side. Got it, so there's no way to completely close nope. it. Hmm. Uh, okay. But you want to roll me a perception check? This is not your turn, uh, not part of your turn. I mean, you're not expending an action, but since you're you're sort of glancing at that, trying to figure out what to do. Sure. Wow. Uh, with advantage, that's a six. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So you just all you see is that the door. You can't close the thing all the way. You're either closing one half or the other. But this swarm of bones could easily just crawl through the other side. Okay. How far away am I from Emerin at this point? Probably 30 feet. If that, I mean. Okay. Yeah, I, nothing I have is really going to be very good against swarms. Um, so, so let's try this. Uh, I want to cast Telekinesis, and I want to just like pull Emerin away from, like physically pull her away from all the bone pile, so she's not being, you know, Okay. Grab by all this anymore. Let me check that. And hopefully she doesn't bring any of it with her. <laughs> it's like, hang on, I'm getting you out of there. Yoink. So my thing is, I don't think I can move the swarm off of her, but I'm hoping I can move her, you know, out of the swarm with this. My only AOE spells are way too destructive to use inside a library. I feel like I we need to move her out into, like, the hallway. At least that way we're not breaking more cases of more bone wounds. Yeah. Yeah, do the other ones seem to be reacting at all when this is happening? Okay, so you can move Emerin, but to determine whether um to determine whether you move the creature with her or whether it hangs on to her, so to speak, uh I need a contested strength check. That says yeah, it says use my spell casting ability. Rolled a fifteen. I mean Ten. Together. Ten. Okay, so you move Imran. Where are you moving her to? <laughs> oh, Uh-oh. I, I was. I mean, the pl- the plan was move her closer towards, just pull her back towards us. Okay, so Imran comes towards the rest of the group, and the creature is hanging on. And as she moves, it's hanging on. And you see when she gets pulled, the rest of it gets pulled out of the case, and it's large it's very big and it's just kind of trailing behind her almost almost like ooze it's just that the parts that are keeping the bones together are invisible and it's just the bones moving it's there that's what it looks like anyway it's not actually an ooze but that's it's kind of flowing as if it was 
in some kind of a fluidy matrix almost, but it's bones instead. Uh, and it stays attached to her. I just shout out, is someone try to cut her loose from this thing? I can't get it off her. Um, that's going to be my turn. Okay. Um, Axley. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am going to cast Wall of Force in a... Um like a dome shape over the casket of bones. Okay. It says in any form, the wall is one fourth inch thick. It says if the wall cuts through a creature's space, when it appears, the creature is pushed to one side of the wall, your choice, which side uh, nothing can physically pass through. Okay. There's only a slight problem with that. Hmm that the space that the creature occupies is also occupied by Imarin. Well, can I, can I just like cut it through the middle of whatever that arm is coming out and have it just split in half and, and, and capture the bulk of the thing inside that's still in, with the case? Ultimately, um, I'm going to... Let, let, me, let, me, let me make a dice roll. And there's a... There's a probability that Preacher will let go of her and be pushed to the other side. Okay. As I drop my dice on the floor. Because I don't just want to arbitrarily be mean and say nope. <laughs> sure. Okay. Right? Um, right. So what I'm going to say is there is a there's a 30% chance that it will hold on to Imran and pull her inside the dome. Okay. Because <laughs> it basically when you form the wall of force, uh -huh. it's it's getting forced into the inside of the dome. And it's either gonna let go of Imran or it's gonna drag her with it. Do it. Right. Okay. Do it. This is gonna be really funny if it fails. Hey. It it failed. So it gets pulled into this dome. So you all don't actually even see a dome, but somehow actually does something. And this creature gets pulled off of him and it's like trying to hold on as it's, and it's scraping your arms Ow. as it's getting pulled off of you. And it's, it's flowing and now it's stuck and it's trying to hit against a, a transparent force wall that it that you can't see and it's it's sort of it keeps like running at it and trying to hit its bony bulk against it and you see these sort of it's as if someone had a a, a box of something it's of dirt and stuff and it just it threw it against a clear window and you just see the stuff and then it falls down and then it comes back up and it tries to keep hitting this clear wall and as that happens you hear Rayla say, there it is. The key. Uh-huh. And you see that now that the bony creature is all the way out of the table in the middle of the room, there is a piece of amethyst table trapped with the bony creature behind Axley's wall of force. Well, we got some time to figure this out. <laughs> I, can hold, I can hold this for about 10 minutes. <laughs> so we'll flow out of 
initiative order. Okay. And you for, can 10 do, for 10 minutes <laughs> and you can do what you want to do. <laughs> we might just have to destroy the pile of bone. Wait. We? What if we just leave? Yeah, but that's an amethyst. And if that's the key. <laughs> we have, don't we? I brought some. Yeah, but that's a particular piece of amethyst, right? And I look at Emron's mom. Fits the keyhole. See, it has to be a particular piece of amethyst. Oh my God. It's in like the bo- bones that are like thrashing about. Can't you do your like magic thing and destroy them? So those bones were on a table, right? Mm-hmm. And the table had a lip because it was really like a case on the table. Mm-hmm. And it had a glass top. And all those bones were in there. And the magic signature that you felt when you cast Detect Magic was under that pile of bones. Mm -hmm. So that bone creature flowed out of that container that that was the top of that table and left the the amethyst there. And that amethyst is the thing that was giving off the magical signature, and that's the key that your mom is talking about. Okay. But now the, the swarm of bones is just sitting there trying to break the wall of force. So none of it is in the table container. Okay. So you can see the amethyst. That means that the bones themselves don't have any magical aura. So it's more of an undead creature than a magic bones. Because you said the magic signature was only coming from the amethyst. So she doesn't detect any magic aura from the bones themselves. Correct. Yes. So this is more of an undead creature than it is magical bones. Sure. <laughs> Some kind of okay. Marcel, yes. do you still have your your elemental bowl on you? Yeah, I do. What if what if we had a water elemental creep underneath the bottom of the wall of force into that space and gum up the works and hold all the bones in place and at the same time pass the key out of itself back to us underneath? Would that work? Is there a gap in the bottom of your wall of force? Uh, I could. Uh, can I move it? Let's see. I don't know if you can move it. I don't like that. Yeah, can spell effect? Can spell effects go through? Like, travel through a wall of force? I don't think so. No. No, it would have to be a gap. Well, well, I mean, a spell effect. I guess you could do something inside it. I would think. Yeah, like I could try to. Well, I mean, I could try to pop up Otto in there, but it would go after him in a second yeah. and then bring him back. But. Um, Nothing can physically pass through the wall. Um, yeah, you can't you can't teleport through it. You can't dispel it. Uh, you can't travel through it if you're on the ethereal plane. It is invisible, though. So, can something that has a range of sight be cast within the wall of force? I think the question is, what do you what do you cast? Like, if you if the if let me put it this way, if something has a range of sight, but if you're casting something and it has to say emit from your person, yeah. So, for example, an elder blast wouldn't work because it's a beam that goes from you to, right. the, to the That's thing. right, so that and the wall of force will make it bounce off. But if the thing has an origin, so the origin of whatever the effect is is in within your sight, you can place the origin right next to that creature, but on the other side of the wall, right? Um. Presuming Axley has told you, look, I put a ten foot wall, ten foot radius dome of force around that yeah, area. So that you calculate where to right. put. And presuming that Rayla stood up and tried to go grab the amethyst, found out real quick 
that she can't pass it. Okay, so I have another question for you. Yes. It says that it blocks ethereal plane. Mm-hmm. Um, how does teleportation spells work that do not say anything about becoming ethereal? Would you be able to teleport past a wall of force? Like with a misty step or a dimension door or something? Think more dimension door. I'm thinking of far step, but yes. Um, I was thinking teleport directly straight up. It just instantly transports you. Yeah, because I'm. I can. I can cast far step on myself. That lets me. It just says you teleport up to sixty feet to a non-occupied space you can see. That's all it says in terms of teleportation. So I could teleport inside the wall of force, grab the key, teleport back out. Okay. Uh, if you're going to do that, I still have telekinesis going. It lasts lasts as long as the wall of force. I can try to, I can try to keep the thing from grabbing you with that. Yeah, I would need something there. to keep it busy while I go inside because there is going. It's a bonus action, so I would need you know six seconds to pop in, right. grab the key, and then pop back out. Is there something we could cast inside the wall of force that it would go after, like that those dancing lights or some kind of? Uh, like a made like a illusion spell. Yeah, I mean, I could if I could lower my concentration, but like, yeah, far step is also concentration, so I'd be busy with that spell. But telekinesis might work because you already have that up. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I the other the other option I could use black. I could you try to use black tentacles, or I don't know if polymorph is going to work on a swarm. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, telekinesis should work. I mean, the good thing is, far step says you teleport. It doesn't take anything with you. So even if it grapples me, I should teleport out without it. I would take okay. damage when it hits. So the problem with telekinesis, I think, is that you already have it up, and so you can't force anything through the wall. Yeah, it says I could I can exert exert the force on one creature or an object you can see within range, causing the appropriate effect below. Um, whether it's move a huge or smaller creature or move an object that weighs less than a thousand pounds. Yeah, but you already moved Imran and it says yeah. if you do that movement on subsequent rounds, you can use your action to attempt to maintain your grip on that creature. In other words, if you like you, you, it doesn't just. Uh, I'm, I'm only saying for the purposes of trying to move something past that wall, or trying to suddenly manifest your telekinesis spell inside the wall of force won't work. Because it says I can affect the same target round after round, or I can affect, I can choose a new one at any time. But if you're saying that you know because the wall of force is now up, I can't you know, affect things inside it, then that's, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking if you want to try to affect something inside it, you need to cast the spell again. Well, it says you can exert your will on one creature object that you can see within range. It doesn't specify where the... Like, it doesn't have an origin. Like, the origin is self, I think. Says range area. I guess it does say you can switch targets at will, right? Yeah, it does say you can switch targets at will, and that the target you choose is something you can see. 
I guess it's DM discretion if telekinesis works on something that's behind a wall of force or not, given those. I was thinking of it as basically once you've chosen your target, you've kind yeah, of chosen no. your target, but it says you can switch. So yeah, it's actually not a concentration spell. So I could cast an illusion inside of it. Okay. Though telekinesis might work a bit better to actually keep it occupied. It seemed really intent on protecting the key. So I don't think it's going to go for an illusion. If it sees me going for the key is my thinking at least. But if unless the illusion is uh, like Emeryn grabbing the key. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I'll cast far step on myself. Okay. Um, and I will, so that'll allow me to teleport and I'll teleport inside the wall of force on the opposite end. So close to the key, like right beside the table and then grab the key. Okay. And when Marcel's doing that, yeah, I'll try to grab, use telekinesis to grab the bone pile. Okay. Right before... Best I can. Right before Marcel does this, I'm going to cast Enhance Ability. Cat's on, Grace? On who? Dex, say, Dex checks? Dexterity? For who? I think it was Strength, strength? wasn't it? I mean, to, yeah. to grab it. Because you might need... I mean, I'm, I'm going to have a turn in there anyways. Yeah, well, I'll give you a Bardic Inspiration die, too. Okay. I mean, At I least think, I can... Should I go Strength? I think you should go strength. Okay, I'll give you strength then. So, advantage on strength checks. Yep. Okay. I'll cast uh, Mage Armor on you if you don't have it up already. Um, yeah, I definitely don't. <laughs> we we're going to the library. Why would I cast Mage Armor <laughs> on myself? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, let me get this straight. So, Marcel... So, uh, Konos has just cast Mage Armor on Marcel. Mm-hmm. Imran cast uh what did you cast on enhanceability enhanceability and actually i'm just performing bardic inspiration, did bardic inspiration. Yeah. okay yeah. and marcel you're then after all that's cast on you and you wait six I'm, seconds I'm then you're, well you're gonna I guess on the same turn after they all go i just cast far step well, i'm saying not on the same turn because konos needs to cast Oh, right. Tele- to change his telekinesis, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah, so then on the next turn, I, I cast Far Step and teleport into the... Yeah, because you can do that, like, for ten rounds. And then you're going to cast... You're going to you're gonna cast that hop in there. Grab that, that's an action for you, it's so then on your next action. turn... On, oh, no, it's, a it's a bonus action. action. So then you can use your movement to grab the thing, mm-hmm. and then on your next you turn, you're bonus wait. actioning out. Yeah. Okay. And Konos, you're telekinesising the bones to try to make them move away from Marcel? Yeah, to like just grab them and keep them from attacking Marcel. Okay, I need a contested strength check then. Or, I guess it tells me to roll a strength check. I, whew, uh, 23. Uh, 17. Yeah. Uh, I think it's strong. It is very strong. Um, but it's, uh, it's, so it's, going to, me. it's what? 
it's free to move towards me. It's mm-hmm. it's going to just try to uh, reach out across the table and smack you. Mm-hmm. 20 hits your AC, right? Absolutely. 15 damage. Okay. And a... Well, you're going to far step out of there, so I'm not even going to bother to have you roll. <laughs> even if you're grappled, you're going to far step out, right? Yeah. Okay. And far step doesn't take any creatures with me, so... Right. Bye. <laughs> okay, so you're out of there. I'm like, out, bye. Got the key. Let's go. It, it scratched up your arms just like it scratched up Immerin's. Okay, we have... it. <laughs> probably still wants the thing um we might want to go leave shut the door and get out of here yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's put some let's put some distance yeah let's leave this room and never come back <laughs> get as far away as possible um okay so where are you going then uh... well where where's this key supposed to open spire room right are we going there now? Well, the thing is, okay, we need the key. For maybe. Probably. Hopefully. Um, but we don't want to put the book back. We're using it. So why would we go to the spire room? Yeah. Let's just leave the library. Rayla says we should put the book back. No. Look, no one will touch it anyway. And she kind of points at Konos, who has mage handed it up again. I, you, you, and there's a reason we're not touching yes, it. Yes, exactly. So let's put it back and, and let's get out of here. This is the perfect opportunity. We may never find an opportunity to put this thing back again. Why is it Why is it so important that the book gets put back? We don't need it, and it's what caused everything. And we might accidentally... Destroy it with the white axiom. But someone else might do the same thing if it's left here. Who else is going to come in here? Have you seen anyone else? A bunch of bones. And a rat person. A what? (laughs) (laughs) That's what he was, right? A rat folk? Yeah. Yeah, a rat folk. Well, but but that doesn't matter. If If we put the Book of Proofs back... Maybe it'll just reset all every day, everything, and we won't need to do anything else. And we can we can go off and 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 not have to worry about that book. It's how he found me. If we have to stop him, it's not going to stop the sinking. The sinking already happened. It's not going to stop his undead armies. The undead armies are already yeah. alive. But he can think- find us if we have the book. So he can find us if he attacks Calport. We're already in Calport. Who cares if he can find us? I think the book is what was used to determine how to cause the sinking in the first place. Yeah, probably. But this already happened. So putting it back is not going to do anything except take away one of the possibilities we have of figuring shit out. So I'm assuming you're all walking while you're doing yeah. this. Where, yeah. Where, what direction I, are you going? Towards the exit. To, yeah, we're trying to re- retrace our steps from to go back towards the map room because that was towards the exit. And we just got here. We just we were just taken here, so I don't think we'd get lost that easily. 
Well, remember, he took you downstairs where there were lots of passageways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, whoever's in the lead leading the rest of you out, roll me an intelligence check. Uh, I vote not me. Maybe Axley. <laughs> I think Axley's... Wait, uh, who's the most intelligent in the party? Is it really... Okay. I've got a... I've got a 16. Okay, we have some intelligent people in the party. That's good news. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll give it a shot. We're all like charisma and wisdom. Ten. <laughs> Great, we're lost. Yep. You come to a passageway where you can either uh, keep going forward and there are stairs up, or you can uh, go to the right and the, the hallway keeps going. The right would be north. The stairs up would be going to the west. Can we just call what's-his-name's name and ask him how to get out? I presume at this point we've walked, like, for a couple minutes away from the... Yeah, you're only a few minutes away. Do we just want to call Tavros? I'd probably hide the key and then call Tavros, but yes. Yeah, I'll stash that in my... What does a key look like? Is it just like a piece of amethyst, or is it like in the shape of a key? It is a, it's not in the shape of a key, like a, like a skeleton key, but it is cut in a peculiar shape. What's the size? Um, two, three inches, and it tapers. It has some etchings on it. Is it something I could fit? Like inside my um, water skin, like through the top of the water skin. Um, to, probably not, unless you have like a water skin that that has a wide mouth. It's yeah, pretty, I don't think so. Pretty I'm big, pretty tall, small creature. All right, so I'll shove it in my pocket. No backpack. Okay, I'll just like deep into the like. <laughs> Okay. Whatever thing I have in there, so that it's not easily to like sleight of hand it out of my pocket or something. <laughs> You'd have to search for it. I'm gonna have to search for it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know where it is now. Okay. You don't trust Blacksley or Rayla. No, not particularly. <laughs> I was also thinking of just you know the various skeletons and mm. other invisible creatures that might live in this place. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And how we're not supposed to remove things from this library. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now that it's hidden, we can call Tavros. <laughs> okay, so you call Tavros. Okay, he he flumes in on a billowing piece of smoke and forms himself into the image that you're used to seeing him in. Yes, did you find everything you need in the ossuary? Yep. Sure did. Some things we didn't need either. Uh, also, um, you have a bit of a problem with like living bones in here, don't you? I think the word problem is <laughs> up for interpretation. Bones yeah. are quite fascinating. Yeah, you would say that. All right. Well, I think we should be leaving, um, but we kind of got lost. Do you mind... Um, Showing us the exit? Uh, the exit from the entire library. 
Yeah. He snaps his fingers, and you all are in the lobby. Hey! Wait. That's handy. Do that for, like, going <sighs> anywhere? Besides? No, only to the exit. Oh. Can everyone do that? Like, snap their fingers and say, to the exit, and get teleported? Or do you have to be there to do that? No. That is something that I am able to do as the curator of the Library of Theronimus. I see. Well, you've been very helpful. Thank you. We'll be back for that other book that is he like six nods, hours and long. then he bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting used to the whole uh, he's not going to listen to everything I say. So. <laughs> yeah, as, as soon as he says you're done, you, you say he's done, he's gone. So. <laughs> All right. Well, no more bones. Uh, I mean, he's not really bones anymore. Should we check on our other friend who is possibly now a cleric? Oh, that guy. <laughs> Forgot about him. Yeah, he'll be fine. I mean, what are we going to check up on him? See if he's actually put something on after he got all his bits back? I mean, he has my cloak. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but is he wearing it open? Or Okay, let's just leave and see how it's going outside. <laughs> all right, that's fair. Okay, so you all walk out of the library? Has the Book of Proofs finished doing its thing? Yes. Cool. We might want to deal with that before leaving the library. Yeah. yeah. Close it and close that and put it away. Yeah. Wait, did we get an answer? Doesn't the answer disappear if you close it? Oh. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> oh, it's done. Wait, the answer. <laughs> so the sentence that you wrote into the book was. There is a way to remove the affliction plaguing Lucanius, leaving him alive and healthy at the end. Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. And the proof is about six pages long. It took that long for it to go six pages? Wow. Yeah. Just thinking real hard. <laughs> so we have the answer. However, if we want to try and like figure out how... We'd have to keep it open. That would. How long do you think it would take? It takes about an hour per page to transcribe it onto parchment. So six hours. Do we really want to stay in here six hours watching someone transcribe it? I mean, I can just stay and transcribe it. You guys can go out and figure things out. Maybe make sure we're not passing too much time and then pay the crew take care of other things and then I'll meet you back at the ship don't we need you for that I don't think so right you are the captain well, I mean you're going to do that too do we even have money to pay the crew with we have some jewelry I was going to say we, we, we discussed what we were going to sell in order to get money like forever ago Sell three sacks of gunpowder, older, not useful books, jewels we stole from Sharkface. Jewels we technically stole from Sharkface is actually what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so we can pawn the jewels and maybe the... Do we even have something to use the gunpowder on? No. I think so. 
That's why we were trying to get rid of it like a year ago. If it if it absolutely comes to it, I can I have I do have one of the magic items that we got from Sharkface that I could part with. Okay. The belt of hill giant strength. All right, so we could do that. Um, okay. Are you leaving one of you in the library? Yeah. Why don't you keep actually both of you working together? We'll shorten it to three hours, right? You did that for the first proof. Yeah. I mean, if you don't mind, actually. Sure. That way you're not alone. Are you going to stay in the lobby or are you going to go back to like the map room or something? No, we'll just stay in the lobby. Okay. And you can probably find a a table in one of the first annex rooms. Gee, I wish I had a bowl. Does anything happen? (laughs) A what? A table. (laughs) Uh, A table pops up. We're fine. Some chairs too. Yeah, some comfortable writing chairs. If you ask for those, they will show up. There you go. All right. Um, Okay. So Axley and uh, Emran will stay transcribing pages. Transcribing the proof for the most recent. This is a true statement. Okay. Yeah. I I I said it says yes. It doesn't actually say yes. It says this is a true statement. You know that's how it always words it, right? So you're, yeah, let, me, let me make this clear. You're leaving Axley and Emerin behind and leaving a building that you think has a time abnormality. Oh. <laughs> well, we're about to find that out. I guess if we find out that there's like that much of a time, at, like depending on the time, and we'll pop back in. But if it's the way I think it is, then like five minutes after we leave, Axley and Emerin are going to pop out and be like, well, we've finished. It's been three hours. And we're like, but we just, <laughs> All right. All that works. Five minutes, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a rendezvous plan, or are you just going to wait outside of the library? I think we're meeting at the ship. Yeah, we can meet at the ship. Okay. If if we find out that like a lot of time has passed yeah. outside, we'll pop back in immediately. If to we don't pop back out first, but yeah. Well, I mean, I'll ask uh, really. So. What time of day was it when you came in? Because we can test this. It was nighttime. I didn't want anybody to see me coming into the library. How long had we been gone? A few minutes. Was it getting dark okay. when we entered the library? No, didn't you go in the morning or something? Wait, so you went you were yeah. in the uh you were in the throne room and you talked to the queens and then they the they had their majordomo show you your quarters in the royal palace. Yeah. And then you slept there so you could get a long rest, and then you went the next morning, right? Correct. Sounds yeah, right. So it was, yeah, it was, that sounds right. It was morning when you entered. So it can't have been a few minutes after we entered that she entered. That doesn't. If she entered at night, it would have been a day at least, or like half a day. Honestly, we've been in here long enough to feel that it feels like it's for several hours. Yeah. Right. So uh, think about something, though. You stayed the night in the palace. She was not in the palace with you. Oh, so you, so she entered the library before us. It's possible. The night before we did. Uh, let's just. Yeah, there's kind of no point in pondering it. I mean, yeah. we can all. We can all leave, and I can transcribe this, or in the curiosity or whatever, if we really feel that strongly about getting out of just the library. 
um, okay, how are we transporting the book through most of the city without closing it? Because I don't think we want to parade a book with Mage Hand open through the whole book place. You can't. It's against the law. I mean, yeah, I can just carry it. Yeah, I mean, but you could, but it's against the law, so you would likely be questioned. Remember, no casting in public. Yeah, no, uh, but carrying it. Just like physically? Yeah, just... Oh, I thought you meant with Mage Hand still. No, but I can just carry it. We'd have to put a cloak, like wrap a cloak over the open book so that... Because my concern is I don't want people seeing us toting around a book, especially leaving the library, because even though technically we brought it into the library... It still might look bad, us leaving the library with a book. And also, I don't want anyone to recognize the book of proofs. So maybe, at the very least, wrap it in a, like, thing, uh, in a cloak and, like, carry it. Maybe you can carry it like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is just my baby. It's a, it's not a book I'm carrying inside a cloth. It's just, just the baby. Do you think, Axley? Well, I mean, can, you can't just put a bookmark in it, right? It's not that it has to be wide open. No one's ever tried. Yeah, we haven't really experimented with it, and I don't really. Yeah. Do Do we want to try putting a bookmark in? I think the the least, the most we've done is like stuffed it, like yeah, it with cloth or something, in, and then kind of sort of closed it when we covered it in the. Because it's it ha- the book cover is now like nasty skin, thin, right? Yeah, and the edges yeah. of the pages writhe. Yeah, we don't want people to see this. Yeah, but I mean that's why you've been covering it and whatnot. It's yeah, I mean yeah, it's, uh, we don't exactly want to touch it all the time either. Because yeah, it's kind of disgusting. I mean yeah, um, <laughs> touch it as little as possible. Uh, yeah, my suggestion is covering it, like, wrapping it in cloth and carrying it back to the ship if we don't want to split people inside this possible tiny thing of a library. That works with me. Put some fruit on top of it, like it's some groceries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, does anybody have, like, just a basket or something? Gee, I wish I had some fruit. <laughs> <laughs> you have to ring the bell for the uh, caterer, remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are we hungry at all after all this time? Are you asking me? I don't know. Are you hungry? Well, I mean, it depends on how long it's been for us. But your perception is that it's been regular time. Right. And we think it's been like, a few, a few hours. Yeah, yeah, two, three hours. We're probably getting hungry. More, more than that, because actually, I mean, you spent you spent like two, two, three hours down in the maze. You spent an hour or so going to the reaches. You spent a couple of hours in Stax J. You spent so more like six. Seven yeah, hours. and then you and then you had Tavros take you to the ossuary. So it's been all day, you know, in your brain. That's what you're. Okay. But you've so been busy the whole time. It's not like you're, you know, you've been bored, yeah. so you got hungry. So now that we suddenly thought of food, it's all like stomach right. groans all over the place. Yeah, but it's yeah. all starting. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's like, oh yeah, food. <laughs> I've definitely gone six hours without eating, without realizing. And then it's like, yeah. oh yeah, it's been eight hours. Oops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we can either eat here for free or we can go out and get some food at our ship. But I think the consensus is we've spent enough time in here and we want to see exactly how much time has passed outside. So And we're all leaving together. Yeah, so we'll we'll wrap the book in a cloak and carry it with us. Like wrap it open and Okay. That way no one can see it and we leave the library. Um Imarin does not have a cloak anymore. No. Whose, whose cloak are you using to wrap the book? I can use the robe of eyes that I've got, but I'll put it so it's the eyes aren't looking at it. <laughs> Is that like adding a bag of holding to a portable hole? <laughs> I hope oh, not. Bad. <laughs> you're putting you're putting a, a robe of eyes over something that contains ethereal space. Do we not have any other? I probably have a normal cloak. I would think. <laughs> I think the bard would have a cloak. I kind of established Marcel not having a cloak unless it's necessary. So I don't think he's wearing. A... There was it wasn't raining or anything when we left the ship, so Marcel would not have been wearing a cloak. They're not the kind of person who wears a cloak all the time, um, and they don't mind water. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can use the robe of eyes. I was just giving you a hard time. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> but if Axley has a normal cloak, that might be better. All right. Um, we wrap it in Axley's cloak. Okay. And, and then you're all going to walk outside. Yep. To find everything on fire and ask the <laughs> dragon attack. Uh, you walk out of the lobby. And the, re the way you walk out of the lobby, remember the doors kind of slide back and open? And then you walk into the entryway where the desk is, where Imran had to sign in and all that stuff. Um, and as those doors open and you start to walk, there's an enormous earthquake. Mm. And you hear the sound of rumbling and the whole building shakes. And as you, of course, Rayla now is freaked out. And she wants to get out of this building. But as the doors, the doors open, because it's, so, it's like it knows you're leaving. So the doors, the doors to the outside open. And as you walk out, the ground is still shaking a little bit. And you see that some buildings have had damage. They've got cracks starting to grow up their sides and whatnot. And then you hear a sound that is familiar and not so pleasant, and you feel the wind of a great flapping. And as you look up, you see an enormous dragon. No! Flying. Called it. No! <laughs> and the dragon has green and red scales. Oh. And you see the town guard and the queen's elite guard trying to get people into buildings out of 
the out being out in the open. Uh, and the dragon flies by and it breathes a swath of red fire on a little park area that had some trees in it. And following that swath of red fire, a plume of green poisonous air wafts onto the area, coating the fiery area with a nasty layer of poison. Oh no. So your choice is try to make it from the library over to the palace or down to the boat or back into the library. But in terms of time passing, it does not, like, it's not an obvious, like, you, you're, you don't walk out and think, oh my God, it's been a hundred years, or oh my God. Well, you know, yeah. like, what time of day is it? Uh, it is like afternoon, evening. It's like 5, okay. 6 p.m. So if we had been in there for a day, it would more or less coincide with how long we felt it was inside. Mm-hmm. Except this might be 10 years later, for all we know. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, great. I have one question that I was thinking of as we were leaving. Bef- because the doors open before we get to them, and we like walk, mm-hmm. and we can see outside, right? Right. Well, sort of. Remember, the whole thing is this big stone building with like no windows. Right, but we can see outside the doors as we're heading towards the as they open, yes, you can see. Yes. I wanted to, like, as we were leaving, see if I could see any movement of, like, people walking outside or a seagull or anything that would indicate, like, I was watching it happen faster while we were inside or slower. Like, mm-hmm. if there was, like, a a, a, a noticeable difference in, in movement while we were still inside but could see outside. You don't notice anything. Okay. So either it doesn't happen in this area because this is just the lobby entrance thing. Okay. Or the timey-wimey stops when the doors open because time crashing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we have a dragon. How far is the dragon, like, how far is the, like, area just breathed on from the library entrance? Uh, A few blocks. Okay. But it's on fire because you could see that they, you you remember there being a little park there. So, is the earthquake like citywide, or does it seem like it was just localized to where the dragon is? It seems like it was citywide. I mean, you you have a very limited perspective at this point because you're next to one of the largest buildings in the city, so it's hard to see anything in that direction unless you were to walk far the way around. But when you look in front of you, it looks like you know this. The earthquake affected everything, and uh, the dragons flying around, burning up stuff. Do we just see a dragon? Like, there's no wyverns or anything, no storm. Uh, you can roll a perception check. Because I remember, ooh, uh, that's a 23. Uh, yeah, you see two white wyverns, um, just from your point of view. Coming to engage uh, dragon. They're trying to harry it so that it leaves. You know how when there's a larger bird, smaller birds sometimes mob? Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like. So those big wyverns are that small compared to this thing. Great. I'm a speck of dirt. Um, (laughs) Where are we heading, Captain? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so. Well, the thing, my, my point of view is we wanted to get the help of Calport and its various resources. And they had basically told us if we wanted their help and, and um, like, if we wanted to curry favor with them, we had to help them with the dragon. Now, we were yeah. supposed to help them with the dragon before it attacked the town, but we got distracted with the library. Um, and it's also, been one day. <laughs> what did they yeah, we weren't exactly expecting it to attack the <laughs> yeah. very next day. Yeah. They, they didn't say anything about that. No. Uh, Marcel had the very uh, meta feeling that it was going to happen whenever we left the library, no matter how much yeah. time we spent in the library. Um, but we could have come out and everything's on fire, which is well, worse. And not to sound callous, but you know, they will appreciate our help a little bit more after this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my point. If we don't help them, then why should they help us? Assuming they survive fire and death. Of what kind of help life. do we want from them? Armies? I mean, we did see an undead army. I don't think the five, four of us can take on Laralac on their own. I was kind of hoping for some allies yeah. more than just the hawk. I was going to say the more people we can get on our side, the better. The only problem is like, do we legitimately think we can fight this thing and win? Well, that's the other thing. We're not fighting it alone. I'm assuming the this place has defenses and ways to, you know, ballista or whatever. Chase to, a dragon off, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean. Do you think we can lure it out to our ship and use our ship to blast it? No. No. We, I mean, We'd sink the ship. Uh, yes, yeah, but why, do we, why do we want to do that? That's a great way to set our ship on fire. <laughs> I mean, that potentially deals with the issue of not having to pay the crew, but <laughs> I, no, that's not how I want to solve yeah, that solution and solve that problem. I mean, I mean I, I'm mean, i kind of with Marcel in the, in the notion you know, that we don't necessarily have to fight and kill it, but if we can just help drive it away at this point, you know, that's, that gives us a little bit of favor. Down because right, right now, like, an army does jack shit to a a big flying dragon. Big flying dragon. But if we can ground it, then then I'm sure they can help out more. They'll lose people, but <laughs> it'll be slightly more effective when it's on the ground. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We've got to have like ballista or anything. This is Calport. They have to have like defenses. They've probably been attacked in the past. Maybe not by dragons, but. So we have to figure out where the ballistas are and drag the dragon out. Where anything is. Yeah, we might have to be going to the castle. um, Castle. That's probably our best bet in terms of figuring out how best to help. Um, But after that, after we've dealt with the dragon, what are we doing? (laughs) And getting a night of sleep. (laughs) Like all of the kind of errands we were talking about before, I guess. Before said dragon showed up. Honestly... We need cash. We need money because I would like to get some spell components for some better spells. Mm-hmm. I hear dragons. I hear dragon scales fetch a good price. Yeah, and they already said they would pay us if we killed it. So at some point in time, we're gonna kill this dragon. It's yeah. not now, later, but we do need money at some point in time. So just general errands would be great, and then. I feel I feel like our next big step after after dealing with the dragon and having Calport as an ally is taking the curiosity 
and figuring out either the soul spire or like like going to where we think the coral goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like get to the blue plateau in general. I found an interesting note that one of the blue goblins was talking about when we fought them in the Palace of Mud. We were asking, we were interrogating the live one and we asked about Laralac's army and he's talking about like the gate leading to Laralac and then said something, I have a small note off to the side that says open the well of Shamasa and release the blue plateau. So we've heard this before. Of Shamasa, the well of Hasit, and the well of Capitalis are maybe interchangeable, if not closely related. Mm. But I think, yeah, what Karu said, figuring out what where this coral goes and how to fix the well, because the first step is to patch the hole. Yeah. So I think that's like the next big thing after we deal with the fact that there's a dragon attacking the city that we want to befriend. Supposing we all live. I mean, if I could, if I could get really close to it, and by that I mean you know close enough for it to murder me ten times over, <laughs> I could, and and if I'm really really lucky, uh, I could do something that would buy us an hour of time. Polymorph it. That would at least get it out of the city. Yeah. And maybe tie it down. Well, that's if it fails a save, right? It's going to fail. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah, if we're really, really after, lucky. After return, it's like 15 legendary resistances, then maybe you can polymorph it. I'm sure we have like that many spells that we can spend on and actually making it fail. Um, I also get divine intervention now. Hey, this sounds like a good time for that. <laughs> <laughs> What, how close do you have to be to it, Konos, to do that? 60 feet. Like I said, close, for, close enough for it to kill me like in five different ways, mm-hmm. probably. What does Divine Intervention do for you, Imran? Oh, that is like... It is... Oh God, where'd it go? As an action, request your deity's aid and roll a percentile dice. It, uh, if successful, your deity intervenes. So... What's the percentile dice number? To um, like it's lower 50, 50, than your level. 10. So I would have yeah. to roll a 10 or lower. Yeah, 10 or lower. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 10% chance right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically like the cleric's version of a wish yeah. for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Good news is at 20th level, it always works. Does it really? Yeah. Bad news is we're not there yet. <laughs> do you want do you want to try that? Oh God, right what are now? you asking of it? What would you ask as the divine intervention? Um protect this help protect the city? That would be a good one. Send us aid to protect the city from the dragon. Yeah. I think that's a good that's good. I was just gonna say kill the dragon, but I don't think it's powerful enough for that kind not. of thing. But send a planar ally, like send a like a send some kind of aid to protect yeah. the city. Get a, get a solar in here or something. Yeah, be it an angel, a, a, an army of angels, you know, whatever yeah. the God decides is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Send me an angel. 
and if it fails, it's a once per long rest type thing, so I can try again tomorrow. Yeah. Supposing we live that. Yeah, the hard part is actually rolling under your level. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like it's a it's like a once per campaign thing if you're yeah. lucky, but when it works, it's like you just literally won D and D pretty much. So, do you want to roll it now? Is that what we're doing? As I assume the DM reads the spell. Yeah, do you want to roll it? <laughs> oh, God. No oh pressure. God. <laughs> Which dice do I roll? You it's roll. T- it would be percentage. Two sided. No, I, I know. I have colors. It's what I'm trying to decide. Oh, okay. <laughs> roll your favorite lucky ones. Okay. Which, which ones have... Which ones have been fermenting in holy water for the last right? five years? Okay. Use those. Oh, my purple ones and my rainbow ones. You know which one's the tens? I do. Okay. No, 17. It was low, mm. but it wasn't low enough. Close. Yeah. How low does it need to be? Under your level. As Imarin prays, Rayla also prays. And as the two of them are praying, an enormous tsunami comes, sweeps across the city, and hits the dragon, pulling it into the sea. And as the dragon is pulled, literally swiped out of the air by this enormous wave, the dragon is trying to, you know, blast fire and flap its wings, and it's almost like a giant wave-like hand just came and grabbed it and snatched it out of the air. And and the water recedes, and some of the buildings have been damaged, and everything at the docks is all in upheaval because of the enormous power of the wave. But the dragon's gone. Wow. That's good to have a god on your side. Uh, uh, yeah. I just look back at Emery and go, could you always do that? (laughs) (laughs) And as that recedes, Rayla falls down to the ground. Ah. What? She, like, passes out. Goes unconscious. She's out cold. Okay. Uh, Cure wounds real quick. How much? How many points? Uh, 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 oh god. Hold on. Wait. Breathing? Um, very shallowly. I don't have anything. Just minor healing spells? Just minor healing. Alright, well, I guess, uh, uh, um, we should probably get somewhere safer with people who can help. Go to the, the castle. Yeah. We have rooms there, and she'll be the safest there, and that way we can rub it into their faces that we're the ones that got rid of the dragon. <laughs> if we're going back to the castle, I'm going to have Otto fly fly back to the docks and make sure our ship wasn't just destroyed <laughs> in all of that. that the docks got hit pretty hard. That was my other worry. And then you know, come fly back and ships. Tell, tell us what's going on. Because we have like an army of ships. Out on. Mm-hmm. But those are... They weren't all necessary. They're in the, the harbor. Hunter, yeah. yeah. So, um, Konos, do you see through Otto's eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, there's, and there's no range on that now. Yeah. You, you see that um, 
the docks are in disarray, but the ships are fine, and it doesn't look like there's like there's no dead bodies floating around or anything like that. But in any kind of cargo that was in a crate that floats, they're all like they've been thrown about, and every, there's just some of the docks have become the woods become detached and weakened, and uh, the boats are all still floating. But there's lots of debris and and cargo that's sort of out and about that people are trying to scramble to take care of but it doesn't it's not a scene of devastation like boats are broken in half and all that it's really like so it it feels like the like you like the tide had suddenly come up and then down washing things off but not necessarily destructively yeah like anything that wasn't tied down just got you know pushed away for a while okay so i'll come out of like okay well good news is the boats are okay um some damage to the docks they're going to be cleaning up for a while but nothing too horrible from the looks of it great um i'm assuming konos and Emerin are carrying Rayla because the rest of us are tiny (laughs) 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 and we head to the castle palace you already have gained entry i mean that like they know that you are um, yeah. guests your guests uh and you uh are met at the door by the major domo justinius who was assigned to show you to your uh to your rooms and everything and uh they are celebrating in the palace, and you can take Rayla and get her settled in. Um, and as you as you are making your way to the rooms uh, and whatnot, you note that uh, the celebration is uh, in honor of uh, the abbot of Straben, Tullus, who has claimed to have that called forth the power, <laughs> the power of Straven to relieve Calport of the scourge of the dual dragon. Going to kill him. <laughs> oh, and that's, we got a holy war we'll right oh, 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 I'm bringing my game face next session. We're gonna deck it out. Oh, I knew boy. we couldn't play a whole a whole dragon fight. That's why I wanted to end the session early. But then when you start talking about doing other things to stop it rather than yeah. directly try to gather an army and fight it, it was easy to adjudicate that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so Tullus is is claiming. Uh, of course, that means they're 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 already planning. You know, Justinius tells you that they're planning a ball in his honor, and it would of course be wonderful if. If all of you could come uh, to the festivities and and um, you know and do what is necessary. Uh, oh, we're coming to the festivities, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm so angry. <laughs> so angry. Oh my god. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh no, there's gonna be some words. <laughs> um. Blacksley is uh, absolutely thrilled to be invited to the ball. <laughs> of course she is. 
like it's too bad you have to walk. stay here and protect uh, Rayla. <laughs> it's unfortunate you can't go to the ball because we need someone to look after Emran's mom. He says, but I, I need to go to the ball. This is this is fantastic. I I can ply my skills, try ply my trade while I am. What exactly at the is ball. the trade? Why? You don't remember? Artist. I am <laughs> the head of the Inquisitor's Guild, remember? Yeah, that's why you're not leaving the room. <laughs> Lack of trust is going to get you killed, I swear. <laughs> Especially not after what we figured out about your past. What do you mean? If only you knew. It's too bad. Well, why don't you tell me? <laughs> 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 oh, look at that. It's credits are rolling. Very true. Okay, so <laughs> does anybody have anything they need to suggest that is not on our list? No, I got one for maybe like a future one because um, this, this is in part a debrief topic and in part a bit of a, sh- a bit of a promotion for a really what looks like a really cool Kickstarter that's coming out. Hopefully, okay. we'll, actually, it's already made its goal called Wander Home uh, that supposed to be coming out next year and the the topic is basically dm led games versus more collect sort of collective collaborative all the players sort of equally get to tell the story type of games which is kind of what the format of that's going to be that's something i want to look into more maybe for another for a future topic so is it a gm list game an official like you know so there's a game called fiasco that a lot of people have heard of and a lot of people haven't but um the game uh, basically it's called gm list because everyone at some point takes control of the narrative and there's still dice and there's still game mechanics, although they're very light uh, and there's different relationships between the characters. But basically the first, you know, little bit of the game, you're setting up the relationships between all of the people at the table and you're setting, you, you choose a sort of playbook to begin with that sort of tells the, uh, sets the framework for the type of story that you want to tell. Um, cause you, cause it's basically like making a movie. You could choose a horror one. You could choose a comedy. You could choose a dark comedy. You could choose a, um, a heist. You could choose, uh, you know, a drama. You, so there's, there's all these different kinds of playbooks that have to do with the type, the themes and the style of the game that you would be playing. But during the game, um, everybody, nobody takes the role of GM. Everybody is a character in the quote movie or in, in the game that's being played. And so, um, basically what that means is that there is no GM. So that's called a GM list game. And so you kind of take turns going, is it, is that how wander home is or is Pretty much, it? Yeah. The, the system that you okay. specifically use is called no, no dice, no masters. I think is, is the, the actual like term or is, I think that's like from a different style of game that they is what they call it. But yeah, basically what they, that's what they kind of, how they set up. Like I heard, uh, it was like a, the, the creator basically did an interview, like a podcast interview about a week or so ago. And they basically played through about, about an hour worth of gameplay. I mean, we got about half of it, but it's essentially, you know, the two of them going through and they have like each, like you said, you know, each of them have like individual playbooks kind of for the characters they do that they have that basically say, you know, describe, you know, here are the, the, the moves you can make. It's not, it's not like, it's nowhere near like, you know, a, a typical D and D, player type of setup it's but it's it's very simple and it's very cute i mean if you don't mind like can i like post a link for their kickstarter in your in your chat uh yeah i don't think it's restricted okay all right so for for viewers that's there's the link for people who want to know more and maybe support this because it looks like it's like it's gonna be a lot of fun um 
Yeah, but basically it's like, you know, they were basically essentially taking turns, you know, here's, here's like kind of the basic, the scenario, and this, it was more of a, it's basically, it's a travel narrative game, so it's, you are like, it's kind of a red wall, red wall style, style world, you know, kind of anthropomorphic characters, and the gist is, you know, you are traveling from, essentially from point A to point X, and with all sort of stuff in between, uh, and it's like seasonal timeline going on. Um, and essentially, this you know, going back and forth, you know, taking turns. You know, here here's kind of what we see. Here's kind of what we're describing. And then here's maybe individual actions they want to, you know, they that they take to either get tokens or have very very small influences kind of occur in in the world of the game. It's it's definitely different than like you know a D and D adventuring party. You know, they come into town and they're you know oh we're gonna solve this party is gonna solve all the pr- the problems that this town has had and may ever have. It's more of, you know, here is a group of individuals that they're on a journey and they're not really the best equipped to solve, you know, to solve world-sized problems or even town-sized problems. It's more like, you know, the actions you take may make people's lives a little better for a short period of time. Uh, but then you're kind of back on the road again. How does an adventure structure like that work? Is it kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure type of a booklet, or are you, is it like a randomly generated tables to have certain events happen? How, do, how, does, it, how does the structure so you. that's a good question. I mean, like I said, from what I from what I've seen, it didn't. It, from what I've seen and heard so far, then there's no like you know pre-published adventures. It's literally just two people or you know a few people sitting around a table, kind of like taking turns telling telling mm-hmm. stories, pretty much. Like there's not like, there's no module. Like there's no D, somebody singing singing behind DM screen. And say okay, well here's the events that are going to happen. Here's the sequence that's going to happen. You, you might agree like beforehand. You know, here's kind of where we're going to, or here's what time of the year it is. But beyond that, it's just pretty much very open-ended very kind of open-ended narrative storytelling Hmm. so for example in fiasco just to give you kind of an idea of how something like this can work i'm I'm not i'm not saying that that wander home is going to work exactly like this but here's kind of how it works in fiasco you sit in at a table right or maybe Mm -hmm. you're on screen or whatever and there's a three by five card between each group of two people, right? So if I'm sitting next to, uh, so on my screen, I'm sitting next to Matt, Matt's next to David, David's next to Nina, Nina's next to Karu, Karu's next to me. So I'm going to have a card between Karu and myself and a card between Matt and myself. And that card is going to say our relationship, right? And it's going to say, you know, something about that relationship, right? So if it, if we determine, and you usually, like in Fiasco, you use a D6. So there's a table that says, oh, you know, what's your relationship? You roll a D6 and it says, you know, you're, you're in the same family. And then you might roll another D6 on a different table and find out you're either married or your siblings or one of you is the parent of the other one, right? Something like that. And then so you write that on the card. And then you, each individual person also will roll a die for like their motivation. So you read off this table, my motivation is this, or maybe a personality or, you know, whatever it is, it, it kind of depends on the storyline that you chose. Right. And there's a ton of, of playbooks out there that provide different lists for different storylines. You know, if you're playing a, 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 a heist movie, right. All of us would probably have re- a relationship, um, that has to do with whatever our expertise is, right? And how maybe how we know each other. Uh, and if we were playing, you know, uh, some kind of a, a, a horror movie, we might all be students in the same university or something. And so it would, you know what I mean? So the type of relationship that you have with the different people sitting around, the different characters that the people sitting around the table are playing is is determined based on the actual theme of the story that you're playing. 
And so I could see Wander Home having a similar thing where maybe there's certain choices that you have in terms of what kind of animal you want to be and what kind of relationship you have with the other players and maybe what your skills are. Um, but that's based on what the theme of the story that you chose. Or, you know, if you're if you're traveling from a known place to an unknown place, or if you're making your way home from a unknown place to a known place, right? Those two types of stories would be quite different. Um, and so you might have a different way to set up those relationships. And so, but that's kind of how it works. And then, you know, in fiasco, there's sort of, uh, there you, you, you sort of have a prompt to begin the story and then everybody kind of goes around and, and you say exactly what happened. And then you determine, you figure out how to resolve each individual scene. And then right after everybody has had a scene, um, then there's there's what they call the tilt, which throws you know a wrench into the works and provides a complication for that story, the way it's set up now. And then everybody again gets to go around and sort of figure out what's happening, and and everybody gets a chance in the spotlight, so to speak. And it's not that everybody sits around quiet when one person is being the the quote narrator. It's that everybody gets to you know, provide information about, well, I would react like this, or I would do that, or, you know, um, and so that's kind of how it works. And then yeah. in, in fiasco, at least what happens is you use six sided dice, you use red, uh, you use black ones and white ones. And at, at the end of your scene, at the scene that you're, where you're the main character in the scene, you know, you either give a black die or a white die. I'm, I'm saying it kind of wrong, but basically the gist of it is uh, the character that, does the best in that scene gets a white die and the character who kind of comes out as the loser in that scene or in the, in a worse circumstance gets a black die. And at the end of the game, after the tilt and after there's a bunch of narrative, you know, a bunch of scenes that happen, it's kind of like the person who has the most black dice has like the tragic ending, so to speak. Mm. And the person with the most white dice is going to have the best kind of ending for that character. Right. So that's kind of how that's that's a little bit of a framework for how that sort of thing can play out. It's very very narrative and storytelling driven and less less about um you know what kind of fighting skill do I have and what is you know what what is, my character is the healer in the party and not, so I'm good at these few things and I'm going to level up. There like there's none of that sort of framework. The framework is very much about telling a story sitting around a table, mm -hmm. but the story has constraints. Yeah. Yeah, this appears to be very similar. Some of the things you were talking about, yeah, like each each of the you know player classes, for lack of a better term, um, yeah, it's like you know you pick a type of animal, and some of them are unique to different different classes or different roles. Um, some of the descriptions, like two, choose two things, two things you are, and two things you wish you were better at being. So like mm -hmm. upbeat, honest, handsome, charismatic, focused, etc. Ask one person to the left and one person to the right questions like, why do I call you my best friend? Or why did I come with you when we left home? Or what do you find most interesting about my my vocation or career path and things like that? Um, In general, these things are basically just called narrative games because there mm -hmm. are no mm -hmm. dice rolls. And it's very much about, yeah, storytelling, kind of like the kind of thing you did before. Just sit around the fire or sit around the table and tell a collaborative story instead of... Yeah having the dice d dictate anything, because I think this one doesn't even, ha Wonder Home doesn't even have any dice. No. Oh, and, really? And many narrative d games are like that, where mm -hmm. it's just yeah. everyone decides what happens as, mm -hmm. as a collective. And then there's yeah. systems, some kind of system in the game that will 
tell you how to move on from scene to scene and like uh sam said about like uh throwing a wrench into it some of them use uh cards so they have like a card system and you draw a card and the card tells you what happens in the next scene or or what kind of complication happens or where you're going and and stuff like that um i have i i've seen the most narrative games in the itch community because yeah. it's 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 more of like indie based there's a lot of them i know that wonder home is apparently started as using the system from uh dream askew and dream apart yep. yep which is also a narrative game yeah there's a great game called penny for my thoughts and it has this what sounds like a horrible premise the premise is everybody that's sitting around the table playing the game and it's usually four or five people um you each have you're in a mental institution for lack of a better term, because you have amnesia. You do not know really who you are or what brought you to this point in your life. And you're part of this uh, group, this, this support group, basically, in the, in the mental institution, right? Where you're all trying this group therapy where you end up f figuring out what your past is and, and what happened in your past and how it came to be that you have amnesia. And you, you, and you sort of, everybody has pennies, right? And at the beginning of the game, you, you figure out like there's a trigger for everybody that makes them remember something. And there's like a specific significant item that they have. And you kind of, uh, people write down random things on little pieces of paper, and then you sort of randomly draw out one. And that gives you your significant thing that you have. That's a significant part of the story. And, and then you have your, like the thing that, that really, is meaningful to you, right? That's the trigger. And then you go around and whoever you pass the penny to next has to continue like the story integrating themselves into what's going on. It's a really, really interesting game. And you don't have to do any prep because you just basically yeah. start by reading, you know, okay, here's we all here we all are sitting for our fifth, you know, group session. And and then you and and it tells you exactly in there, okay, now everybody take out three pennies and you you know, and it's very, it's very, very interesting. It's 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 really an a different kind of experience than traditional RPGs for sure. Yeah. Um one game we did actually play that was a storytelling uh game was Spoken Magic by Dylan Grinder. We did that for the um for the stream we uh, the charity stream we did last month, um, and Spoken Magic does use cards and is basically like prompt based again. Like yeah, travel from place to place, and it, every every single place you travel goes to a different person in the in, on the table, and they decide where we're going, what this place looks like, um, and everything. And then you draw a card that tells you what's wrong with this place. And then you use the magic cards that uh, to kind of try and either solve or at least partially solve the issues that may be plaguing this new place you've come to. And for me, that was my first narrative game. And it was interesting because like, yeah, at first it's like, well, but so the world is not built beforehand. It is not in one person's head. But by the end of the game, we had built a place that was like this. I would love to adventure in this world we just created over the past two hours. That's cool. And and like the different places we came up with and, and the, the little issues that started happening. 
really left like a framework of a very interesting story. We didn't get to play the whole like uh, loop, um, but it was it. It's slow to start because people aren't ready for the improv. But once you get into it, people start like thinking of different things and adding to it, and it was really interesting. I think it's yeah, it's it's like improv uh, theater, I guess, except you're all sitting down and talking instead of actually acting it out. <laughs> There's a um, a great game called Microscope, which is it's it's supposed to be a game on its own where basically the whole game is creating a setting and it has a framework that has you um it has everybody together there's there's no like uh there's no real gm role right i mean it kind of does have one but that's just the person who kind of understands how it works and makes sure that everybody stays within the constraints of what's supposed to be happening um, but the but basically what happens is you just you decide a time period that you want to create and you create different pieces of history in that world and you define certain people and places and certain events that happened and you flesh them out as much or as little as you want and then at the end of it you now have this you know and it's you know, we're talking about you know two hours or something right you have this game setting that you could call that the end of it. Okay. That was the game was creating this really interesting setting. Wow. That was fun. You know, cause you, cause you end up bouncing off of people and different people have different thoughts about what's happening and how that could affect their, their portion that they were talking about and stuff like that. But you can also use it as if you're playing a, like even a game like D and D and you want, uh, you want to sit down and have everybody be really invested in the setting. You sit down for your first session and you flesh that out. And then at the end of that session, you decide, okay, what time period are we going to play in in this world? Like, and I mean, you you actually decide that at the beginning. Like, we're going to create the history of this up to the point where our characters are going to be set down in this world. So let's create this whole history, and then and then it kind of feels a little more organic because. You know, so so like, and this gets it back into D and D brief. Like in this game that we're playing right now, well, in a few minutes, I have all this lore in my head about what has happened in previous games I've run, and in the setting as I sort of conceive of it and set it out, uh, and wrote it down, and and diff different developments over the years that I've been playing in this setting because it's it's my own homebrew setting. But to, none of you have that. The only information you have is information that I give to you because your character tried to find out something or you went to a place and you learned about it from the people that you met there. But that still comes from me. You didn't have any of that beforehand before your character did an action or an activity to gain that information. But if you, if you sit down to play a game and you play microscope first, you run through the microscope exercise might be a better way of saying it first at the end of that session every single person has the same exact amount of information in their brain about the setting. And that means that when you play the game, everybody has the same amount of buy-in to the setting as what the DM would typically have in a sort of more traditional D&D game, right? So it's a way to play a game where everybody has knowledge about the setting, but you, that doesn't mean you have to play in a setting like Forgotten Realms, where the reason everybody has knowledge is because they can buy the books themselves and read about it, Right. So it's a pretty, it's kind of an interesting thing, but the way it basically runs is as a GM-less narrative historical creation exercise to create this piece of setting for you to play in. 
It's really interesting. I'm still looking for it, but I know there's a game. It's actually because I saw it on Roll20 Marketplace. There's a game that's like that, but like it's actually based on making the map of a world as a game. So you start with a blank canvas and you start drawing locations and fleshing them out. And at the end, you end you end up with this like map of the world where you can then either leave it like that's that's it, or you can use it as a basis for a more traditional uh, campaign. Yeah, I think that one's called The Quiet Year. Is that it? Where you use a deck of cards? Yes. To, to, yeah, because I was looking for a game for my wife that when she's in her classroom with more adult kids, she, it would be perfect for her to run over a couple hours. And I really like that one because in that one, you don't take on any of the characters. It's not a first person. So it's not so personal. So the kids could just like draw a card and then each kid could could come up with the event uh, or the, the item on the map or location that they can add to it. Um, and I think that would be perfect for a classroom type environment. Yeah. Yeah. The quiet year can get really intense. It's, it can get really intense. Um, there's another game uh, that I, that I have that um, is sort of like that. It's, <laughs> it's called do not let us die in the cold dark of this winter or something like that. It's really long. Uh, name, but basically, what it's a village building game, and so you're as you're playing this game, you're you're creating the village and telling the story of this village and its struggles and the people in it and their struggles up through this winter that's really really harsh and horrible, and the people are starting to starve and you know that sort of thing. So it's it's one of those kind. It gets really depressing, <laughs> um, but it's but it's really intense because what happens is you you get to tell the story of the rivalries in the village and what the village, how it used to be and how it is now. And, you know, it's, it's just a very interesting uh, sort of exercise, right? I, I know some, some people hesitate to call these things games because there's no, like there's no real win conditions. And while there's no real win condition in D and D there is the advancement, which gives you that winning feeling. And there's, there's winning in battles, individual battles. So there is kind of a win, uh, sort of simulated win condition in D and D. But in some of these games, there's really no win condition. So for some people, they don't consider them games at all. They're storytelling exercises, and that's it. And I'm not here to argue one way or the other of those. But um, I found the one I was thinking of. It's called Tra- Travel Log. Oh. On uh, on the marketplace, and yeah, that one's also like yeah, collaborative world building. Um, the nice thing about the uh, mar- the Roll20 version is it actually has the stamps of like different locations so you don't have to draw everything <laughs> you can also use like the stamps um, yeah that one sounds fun for like just creation wise but yeah there's a lot of games like that and I feel like they've multiplied recently like maybe this year or maybe in, in the last year um, via itch there's just so many iterations and people who have taken a like basis of one game and then done their own spin on it so you get like what kind of like game you want to play and then you have well it can be either fantasy sci-fi or horror or whatever but it's using the same base yeah i mean it's it's really a um it's it's a big departure from a traditional role playing game like D&D. So there's a lot of people who 
when they discover such a thing, it's like a revelation to them. Like it, it's a structured way to play cowboys and Indians, you know, it's for lack of a better, you know, to, to play imaginary games, it's a different way to do it. And it's the, there's still structure there a little bit, but there's not so much that it forces you into a certain style of play, for example, like Dungeons and Dragons does, right? Dungeons and Dragons, the rules of the game, the mechanics of the game, the character building mechanics, they all support a very specific style of play. And not that a group can't play it slightly differently from another group, but in general, most tables could walk, you could walk from table to table at a convention and you could say, yeah, they're playing D&D. Yeah, they're playing D&D. Yeah, they're playing D&D. Even if they're playing vastly different types of games or in a vastly different setting. Um, whereas some of these sort of more storytelling narrative style games you might not necessarily know what they're doing. Uh, but I think a person who is open-minded and walks up to that table will understand they're playing a game, right? That's a narrative game. It's an actual game. They're doing things that have some constraints. Maybe the constraints aren't huge, but they are constraints. And so, you know, I mean, heck, I, I love all kinds of games. So I just, you know, I want people to have fun playing games. So... Well, I've got a now. I've got a list of about seven or eight new ones to go check out. So, <laughs> very yeah. thank, thank you all. Oh, good. That was a real nice discussion. I like. I love talking about other games because I think that. Um, I think for some people, D and D is RPGs, and that's it. And you're probably never going to change their mind. That's all they're really interested in playing, and they have a certain style that they want to play that in, and that's fine. I'm not. I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. I just mean that's you know some people have enough energy for one to learn one game really well right um and look D has a lot of rules and there's a lot of different nuances to playing the different types of classes and subclasses and races and and you know in different settings and all that and i that's perfectly fine if that's all somebody has the bandwidth for in terms of what they want to spend their time on um but for those who do want to kind of branch out and experience something else there are a ton of games out there that provide a, a different experience and not just a different experience in terms of, Oh, well, it's not a class-based game. It only runs on skills and you don't really have level-based advancement. Right. But I, I mean like very, very different. Like these storytelling games are so different from, from D and D they're, they're kind of two ends of a, of a long spectrum. Yeah. Right. But I think the fun thing about the narrative games is most, mm, traditional ttrpg games are more about like from a personal perspective so you create a character and you have the lived experiences of that character but when you get into narrative games now you're thinking of like more like there's some games um and here i i'm forgetting names but like there's some games that will each person at the table represents a different country and they decide everything about that country or maybe it's more like yeah you're just everyone creates a different place in the world mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. And there's also games that are like, because I just remembered of one that I, I figured would be interesting to mention since this is a D&D podcast. There's a game called Session Zero, which is basically a card-based create-your-character game. And it helps you develop like the backstory and what makes a character tick. Not mechanically, just narratively like build your different characters as a group uh, activity and how they are intertwined together. And it's meant to be used as a pre-campaign, pre-character creation 
come up with your characters via this uh, card game. And then you have the character base personality. And then you grab the D&D handbook and see how to give it stats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's another way that like these narrative games can help whatever you're playing afterwards to like build up a bit more nuance and as a collaborative uh, sort of situation. Yeah. That's a, that's a more um, structured way of doing a little bit of what I do in the beginning of my campaigns, which I always refer to as cooperative party building. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, if you go back and listen to the very first episode Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the first episode, I asked questions like, you know, who, which character, you know, which PC do you trust the most and which one do you not trust and why don't you trust them? And, you know, what's your main goal and who's your rival? And we did a little bit of that when, when, uh, when Matt and Karu came on and we did a little bit of it at the beginning and learning all those things and you do it so that everyone can sort of hear what's going on with the other characters. That way there is a sort of common knowledge that you can push on during the game if you want to. Um, but putting it in a se- in a formalized session zero kind of style where you're you're spending basically the whole session doing no mechanical things, just doing character building type things is is really cool. Yeah, I have the PDF of that that thing. So that session zero game. So yeah, I saw it. I saw it on uh, Twitter when they were giving away uh, a physical copy, and I was like, I'll try. <laughs> I didn't win it, but I might still pick it up. I just haven't really had a chance to start uh, campaigns because I keep doing either one shots or I have already way too many long-term campaigns running. So, yeah. Yeah. And when you run a published campaign, it's a little harder to, to do something like that in a way, because with a published campaign, there's an expected storyline. And so in a lot of ways, there are certain types of characters that fit really well into that kind of expected storyline. And it's not that you couldn't fit a different kind of character in there. It's just that it's harder to fit a different kind of character in there. Whereas a game like Session Zero really works best when you begin wide open, like with no real idea of you know, what, what you're going to be doing other than it's going to be a fantasy game, right? Like, and then yeah. you can, you know, um, if you, if you were, if you know that you're playing, you know, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, you know, there's going to be a certain type of style of character that's going to play in that campaign really well. And that's a constraint that is okay. But if you're running a, a an exercise like Session Zero, it kind of, it, it puts a little too much onto it. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know. It's one of the reasons that published adventures are more difficult for me to run because I feel like they are written with a certain set of characters and skill sets in mind. And if someone in the party or the majority of the party doesn't want to conform to that, it can make it a little more difficult to to try to make that work and fit within what makes sense for a storyline. But yeah, it definitely has that constraint of like when you're making characters, you have that social agreement of not just you're in a party, you're in a you're in a party that is say gonna go and stop Tiamat for being summoned in Tyranny of Dragons. You can't play, you can't make a character that doesn't want to have anything to do with the cult, right? 
Unless you build into that character also a reason for them to have to. Yeah. Otherwise, generally you say, okay, well, then that person, you know, stays at home and, and doesn't take part in this adventure and please make someone who is going <laughs> right, to be focused on yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, there, there has to be a, a, like, and that's why most ventures end up having the like bonds that are particular mm-hmm. to that campaign to help the characters have some kind of reason to care about what's going on. Cause you, it doesn't work. You can't run a module if everyone's like, yeah, no, my character's deathly afraid of dragons and they flee as soon as the dragon shows up. Let's play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> to be fair, that is sensible. That is a smart... Yeah, that's pretty smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> well, everyone, thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for listening. If you're listening to this in podcast form, uh, we appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments or you want to just cuss me out, uh, you can email <laughs> dndbrief at gmail.com, d-n-d-e-b-r-i-e-f at gmail.com. And so everyone say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thank you.